So you do a couple of those little deals uh, using family and friends money. And, and if you're meant to be in the business, uh, then you'll grow out of those uh, and you'll grow out of that money and you, and you move on to bigger deals. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I'm excited to have John McNallis. John, how are you doing today? Never better. That's, that's perfect. Always. So a little bit about John and I'll let him uh, explain more, but he is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley and Hastings College of Law, practiced law until he co-founded McNellis Partners uh, in, in the Northern California Shopping Center development firm in 1982. He's uh, still a developer, still actually actively doing develops developments as we speak. And he's also the author of a critically acclaimed book, Making It in Real Estate, Starting Out as a Developer. And it's a great book to pick up and read. Uh, it's being, it's required reading at many of uh, colleges, universities, uh, Clemson, Berkeley, LSU, many others. So definitely a book to pick up and read if you have any interest in, uh, in real estate, any interest in development. So with that said, John, why don't you give our listeners a bit more kind of about your background, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes. Sure. Well, and thanks for that kind introduction, Todd. I started out as a real estate lawyer uh, 40 odd years ago, uh, quickly decided that it was more fun to be a business guy uh, than filling in blanks and contracts. And I kept waiting for one of my clients or the clients on the other side to recognize how brilliant I was and hire me. And that didn't work out. <laughs> so uh, I started my development company, a shopping center development company with uh, an older client, a guy about 15 years older when I was in my late twenties. And we built our first uh, center in a town called Healdsburg, which is in the, the Sonoma County. Uh, at the time, it was a blue-collar town in Sonoma County. Now, it is one of the most she-she towns in Northern California, like Napa, uh, famous mm -hmm. for local wines. Anyway, we built a um, pretty standard for us, a 10-acre, 100,000-foot shopping center anchored by a supermarket, Safeway, and a drugstore. And I've been doing it ever since. We do a couple deals a year. Uh, to cut to it, uh, we started out with other people's money because we didn't have any of our own. Uh, so we used family and friends money for the first few deals. But as you know, Todd, unless your last name is Rockefeller, you kind of burn through your family and friends money pretty fast. I mean, yep. you know, your, your fraternity brothers or, or sorority sisters or fishing buddies, they may be good for 25,000 or 50, but uh, if you're in the development business for the long haul, you need a new source of capital. We shifted over to institutional capital in the 80s. And by the end of the 80s, and there was a huge downturn then, uh, like 1991, 92, ugly years, we decided no more financial partners. And we started doing smaller deals using our own capital. So over the last 40 years, we've averaged maybe two deals a year, something like 80 deals. For the most part, neighborhood, supermarket, shopping centers, everything located. I'm sitting here in Palo Alto, California on the peninsula, about 20 minutes south of the airport. 
every deal that we've ever built has been within two hours of, say, San Francisco. Uh, we found that a small company like ours can be at its most competitive, uh, staying locally and being highly specialized in our niche. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, so why, like, why development? You started out doing development, so you're building ground up. What, like, what prompted that? Did you have a construction background, or what prompted development? Okay, if all your listeners will swear to keep this a big secret, I'll tell you something. 40 years later, I still know nothing about construction. <laughs> I was a lawyer. <laughs> so what, what, what I learned as a kid was uh, partnership agreements, loan documents, purchase contracts, leases. So, you know, if, if you're a developer, it's like you're a conductor in, in an orchestra. Uh, and usually a conductor will usually be able to play one or two or three instruments, typically the violin. Uh, developers are the same thing. It developers, no one starts as a developer. You've got to work your way up to it. And so you can start as a broker, a banker, an, an appraiser, uh, contractor, even a lawyer. And so you come playing that instrument, but now you have to conduct the whole orchestra. So what you need to do is, and in my case, I did do, to uh, take on a partner uh, who I've had for 38 years, who does know construction. Uh, so we, you know, we, we filled in that, uh, what a Clint Eastwood say, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. So if you're a developer, you're not going to know everything. Maybe you know finance, maybe you know construction, maybe you know leasing, maybe you know entitlements, but you need to take on other people to help you out. Yeah, yeah, great, great advice because... You can't, like you say, you just, you, there's no way you can do it all. And if you're going to try to do it all, you're, you're not going to do a very good job at it. So right now you guys are keeping everything uh, in-house. You're not taking private equity. It sounds like. Um, yeah, we don't use outside capital. So it, if we find a deal we like, we buy it ourselves. Uh, and then if uh, we, and, and we pretty much know from day one, that from almost from the first time we see a deal, okay, we're going to do this deal. Are we going to keep it or are we going to sell it? And that basically revolves around uh, uh, the quality of the location. If it's a highly competition-constrained location, say along the 101 corridor in California, along the coast, we tend to keep it. If it's open land as far as the eye can see, the, the, the valley, which is about an hour away from here, uh, then we tend to sell it you know the day that the blue ribbon is cut at the brand at the grand opening uh and so that you know we will buy it with our capital and then if we're selling it uh, we never put any debt on it at all if on the other hand we're going to keep it you know then, then we'll put on long-term debt at the end we don't bother with construction loans because they're a pain in the ass. There's a lot of transaction costs involved, you know, environmental and everything else. And it's, it's just too much trouble. Uh, but so the, the, the upside to doing fewer deals with your own capital is you save a lot of grief. The downside is you are doing fewer deals. Uh, if, if you want to be doing 20 deals a year, you, you know, we couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, then we'd have a, a big time financial partner which would be uh, a different set of issues. Yeah, your, your growth is slightly limited, um, but there's also all the upsides going to you. Of course, all the downsides going to you as well. 
Right. Uh, so it's, it's a juggling act. Um, with what's going on today, you know, you guys, I think a lot of people are nervous about the retail sector, the shopping sector. You guys are in that a little bit. What are you doing anything today? Are you seeing anything today that's helping you succeed through this time? Yeah. Retail has been written off with a very broad brush. Uh, in fact, you know, I write a monthly essay for the San Francisco business times on, on real estate. And I, I wrote one about that very fact that retail for the most part has been redlined uh, by the, the banks. Uh, one of my friends at Wells Fargo, which is a great bank, wrote me and said, he, he sent me a list and it showed that the, let's say seven principal subcategories of retail, only one was really spanked. And, and that those were the enclosed malls uh, in the basically second tier enclosed malls. I was delighted to learn last year at this time that I happened to be just by uh, luck in the essential retail business. And so our business, supermarkets, uh, they went gangbusters and everybody knows this in uh, March and April and they slowed down, but they ended up the year ahead. Uh, I saw one of our markets, I just saw the sales reports for last year had its best year ever. And so I would say 75% of our tenants, supermarkets, drugstores, gas stations, banks, definitely liquor stores, cigarette stores, sorry, uh, drive-through restaurants. Uh, one of our drive-through guys, I saw their sales up 50%. Yeah, drive and pizza, pizza's killing it. Oh, yeah. So in our portfolio, that's about 75% of, of our tenants. The remaining 25%, not so pretty. Uh, fortunately for us, we don't have any big box, uh, soft and hard goods. You, you know, they're hit pretty hard. Mm -hmm. We don't have any theaters hit the worst. Uh, we do have gyms there. Of course, here in California, they're, they're all shut down. They're a disaster. And then the hardest part emotionally, frankly, is the, the little tenants, um, personal services, hair, nails, massage, legitimate massage, by the way, uh, they're crushed. You know, um, even now when they're being, the, the state is finally allowing them to reopen, a lot of people are afraid to go in. So mm -hmm. their sales, dry cleaners are way off. You know, everybody's working at home in their pajamas. So that our, our, our dry cleaners are, have been snuffed. Uh, that'll all come back. But uh, so our retail is essentially fine. Uh, Malls, not so much. It's, it's difficult for them. So some of these tenants uh, of yours um, or maybe of, of colleagues of yours that you know of, uh, friends that you, you know, are they doing certain things to try to help these tenants through that? Uh, you know, you talk about the massage therapist or the nails or the hair salon. Like, are you, are you trying to do something to help them through or is it, uh, how's that work? Because obviously there's a, there's that balance and I deal with multifamily and I'm dealing with residents, same things. There's that balance. You, you got to help them, but you also have to make money on the deal. Great question. Uh, and it's an interesting split. The, the institutional developers, the institutional property owners that, that I know uh, with whom I've spoken on this issue, they haven't forgiven rent. They've uh, deferred it. Mm -hmm. uh, the small developers, small property owners, such as ourselves, have been we've been forgiving a ton of rent uh 
And part of that is, is a way to kind of sneak into heaven, hopefully. And, and part of that is just being practical. Uh, there are no replacement tenants for uh, these mom and pops. You know, there are no hair salons, no massage, uh, no nail salons looking to open. So you can do the right thing, which is obviously a good thing to do. At the same time, it's it's the practical thing to do to try to nurse these tenants along. Yeah. But God, even with no rent, uh, maybe maybe fewer than 10, but you know, we have a number of, of centers. We've just had tenants say, I give up, no mas, and they just throw the keys, even if we're not charging them rent. Uh, but too back much to overhead the, too. I mean, that, that's well, yeah. they're not paying anything, but they still walk away. They, they're oh. they're crushed. Yeah, these little tenants, they're they're great people, and you know they put their life savings in these deals, but they, yeah. they they're broke. You know, they're, and they're just walking away. We're not going after anybody in that situation. We just say, okay, we get it. We're sorry. Uh, hopefully. This time of year from now, you know, we'll be through it and people will be back. Uh, yeah. People will get haircuts. They, they will get their hair colored and their nails done. So hopefully they'll be back. Yeah. And lot, lot, oh, and we, the other problem area, and you know this already, are restaurants. Fast food restaurants are fine. Restaurants that lend themselves to takeout, and that's Indian, Chinese, pizza in particular, are, are pretty much fine. Fancier restaurants, where uh, it's complicated food, it, that, that, those don't tend to work for takeout. You know, you have to kind of eat it hot. It has to be served because if it comes a half an hour later, it's all mishmashed together. Yeah. We have some of those and, and they are really hurt. And I think there's, again, everybody knows this, there's a vast oversupply of restaurants right now. So maybe we end up with half as many or 60% as many, but they'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Who wants a fine grade medium rare steak on yeah, ta in takeout? Yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah. I, I tried. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yeah. Pizza works. Pizza works great. Yeah. So you know, development. Somebody wants to get in development. Uh, they they like what they hear from you. What are some? What are like maybe three key things that that you would tell somebody that's really wanting to get into the development industry? Um, how, how do they start? How do they crack that code there? Yeah, usually what I tell people is keep your day job and do it on the side, uh, which is essentially what I did uh, for a while. It would, I usually, you know, that old saw, Todd, buy the worst house on, you know, on the best block you can afford. Uh, you know, back to this, the orchestra conductor and only, if you do, and I, I started this way, I, I started with a duplex and you know, single family residences. If you do those, you know, you buy a house, you, you fix it up, you know, you put in new driveway or new windows or whatever, countertops and sell it. All of the components of a much more complicated deal are there, you know, short of few zeros, but you still have to negotiate the purchase. You still have to find a contractor. You still have to get the work done. Still have to lease it or sell it, finance it. Uh, it's a great training wheels deal. And what, so, what I tell people is, go with residential uh, until you know, California is anomalous at the moment, in particular San Francisco. But until the virus hit, the beauty of residential was there was a zero vacancy factor. Uh, every other real estate discipline, whether 
hotel the worst, but the rest of them, you could build an office building, you could build a, a supermarket, a shopping center and have a big vacancy problem. With housing, it always cleared. You know, maybe it wasn't 3,000 a month, maybe it was 2,500 a month, but you could always, it, it was forgiving that way. So, you know, what I, what I say is, is go buy a house. That you know, And if it's like say half a million or a million and you need to raise a couple hundred thousand, you can do that, you know, with the guys you play pickup basketball with, maybe, uh, or your church group, maybe. It, uh, and so you do a couple of those little deals uh, using family and friends money. And, and if you're meant to be in the business, uh, then you'll grow out of those uh, and you'll grow out of that money and, you, and you'll move on to bigger deals. Uh, that's what I tell people to do. Yeah. Yeah. Start, start small, grow, grow bigger makes a lot of sense. Partner with probably the right people too. Um, you know, it sounds like you brought in a partner. You're, you're the legal expert, you knew land entitlement uh, likely, and you brought in the right partner to uh, team up with that knew the construction side. So you didn't have to worry about swinging a hammer. Yeah, no, it's actually, I, I started, my, my first deal was with an old, so I was in my late twenties, he was in his mid forties. So the other thing, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a salesman, but I can convince people when I believe that in something, I truly believe in it, you know, I, I can convey that belief and that sometimes works. So at 29, you can't, sell yourself as a developer of a 20 million dollar project you know no yeah. one's no one's going to believe you so what i was doing was was selling my older uh, experienced partner who was an established developer who had built a number of shopping centers so i could say hey todd i've teamed up with bob and he's a great developer and here's here's the deal that we're going to do and give me twenty five thousand, and you'll make 50. You know, that, that worked and then you know, we added other partners over the years Hey, real quick, I just want to let you know about the multifamily challenge that we got going on. It's a five-day multifamily challenge on how to get an offer in uh, quickly, right? So we're going to teach you in five days, five one-hour sessions. We're going to go through the steps and the process to get there. So go to mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com. You can sign up. It's free if you want the VIP. There's a bunch of things that we'll give away too. You, gotta, you, gotta, you do have to pay for that, but hey, it's going to be well worth it. Again, you can get in for free. We're going to teach you how to get that offer across the table, get the LOI in, uh, all the steps. So Ellis Hammond and I, Ellis was episode 316. Check, check out his episode. And we're going to be doing this next week. So sign up now at mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com, and get in there. We're, uh, we're doing it next week, and it's going to be awesome. So hope to see you there. John, are you are you buying or sorry building um, still the the shopping centers? What are you what are you building today? What's the what's your favorite type of development right now today? Okay, so we have a a um, traditional neighborhood shopping center twenty twenty version uh, that we're under we're just about to open. And, and COVID has one of the other things, and I'm sure you're. Uh, viewers know this it has spanked the hell out of our construction schedules yeah. so we started a year more than a year ago on a center neighborhood center six and a half acres sixty thousand foot super safeway safeway gas station and then a pad building with chase bank and pete's coffee so it was 100 percent pre-leased which is again using our own money i like doing it that way yeah, yeah. so so there was no leasing risk 
uh, we're about to open that, I think the first week of April. Uh, so that one's just about done. We did another center, uh, this is, these are along the 80 corridor between uh, San Francisco and Sacramento. Another center, uh, much larger, uh, we did a, a Walmart super center. We had a couple pads left over uh, and we've been sitting on them for years. 7-Eleven came along. So here I am in the twilight of my career. I'm kind of like the Benjamin Button of uh, developers. I'm doing a 7-Eleven deal, uh, great people to work with. And uh, you know, that, that's kind of fun. Then on the other hand, we've got two, we are the, the retail, uh, <laughs> the, the, the tail of this, these two enormous mixed use projects. Uh, one is a billion dollar project over a thousand homes in Santa Clara, but in order to get these big uh, massive res deals approved, they need to be mixed use. Uh, I'm sure that's pretty much the case across the country. So the um, residential builder brought us in to be the, the retail partner. So we've got 25,000 feet of retail coming online now in, in this massive project in Santa Clara and 30, 35,000 feet in another project in a town called Milpitas. Uh, so mixed use. Uh, so that there's the four under construction where, you know, we're trying to get entitled uh, a couple of other projects. So, you know, it's kind of like an assembly line. You're always looking for land uh, and looking for deals and then you get them tied up and then you're in the entitlement process, then the construction process, then the leasing and the sale. So we pretty much always have one or two projects in each step of that. You know, something we're selling, something we're trying to buy, something we're building. So somebody, somebody that's new getting into this, where where are they where are they finding the the property to build on? What's what are some sources that they're is it is it brokers? Is it uh, you know relationships? What is it? Where are they finding the pieces of property? Here's what, what I, I tell young guys who want to get in the business. I say, figure out a town or a city that you can tell for sure has great growth prospects. You know, it, real estate is, you know, we are the, we are vendors. You know, we, we are not the economic engine. You know, we're, it's like uh, in the gold rush, we're the guys who are selling the tents to the, to the gold miners going up to make the gold. So, and, here on in the peninsula, it's tech. In New York, it's finance. In, in Texas, it's energy. You've got to go someplace that's got great growth. You figure out where that place is. And, and if you're in Ohio, or, uh, well, I, I won't pick on Ohio, but if you're in a state that has limited growth or negative growth, you've got to leave. Because uh, it's just no way to make money in, in a zero sum uh, location. So you find the location, then you decide what you're gonna specialize in. And it doesn't matter too much, although I wouldn't do hotels or probably retail at this point. But let's just say Todd says, all right, I'm moving to Austin. Why not? Everybody else is. And I'm gonna specialize in industrial, okay? Then I figure out who the number one industrial broker is, because you can't find this. It's a mistake thinking you can find deals on your own. You find the best broker you can who will actually work with you. So it's usually a young guy, but it's somebody who's up and coming. And then you convince him or her that you're going to be a player. And you say, look, I need to, you know, you buy them coffee, you take them to lunch. And you say, look, I've got all my money lined up. You, know, you got to fudge it a little bit, I guess. 
Uh, so at the same time, you're, you're trying to find a great broker to find a deal. You're also trying to kind of casually raise money on a what if basis. And as in, hey, Todd, you know, I'm going to be a developer. What if I found a deal that would double your money in, in 18 months? Would you be interested? And you'd say, sure, John, I'm in, you know, I'm in for 50 grand or whatever. Uh, and then you tell the broker, okay, and you do that 20 times. So you've got a million dollars of tentative commitments. So then you tell the broker, yeah, I'm a player. I've, I've got the money. I'm ready to go. That's how I do it. Yeah. No, good, good, uh, man, nuts and bolts right there. Good stuff. Um, what's a, what's a big mistake that you've made along the way and how have you learned from it changed and, and grown from that? Well, we only have half an hour, Todd. So just, the, just one. <laughs> well, I've made all the mistakes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm now at the point of making the old mistakes over again. <laughs> saying, what the? You I know, forgot I, I did that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And in fact, uh, the one mistake I'm making right now, we were just laughing about it, is uh, this little 7 Eleven deal is, too, is way too small for us. And so if a deal, you've got to fight your weight class. You know, you, you've got to have a deal that's yeah. big enough to really engage you a little deal particularly it was a remnant piece of land that we you know we own free and clear for 15 years we weren't paying enough attention so just to focus on that so didn't pay enough attention with the architect didn't pay enough attention with the contractor didn't pay enough attention with the city uh and so like over designed overbid over uh restricted and so we're paying for it now it, it doesn't matter that much to us, but let's say we made $100,000 worth of, uh, of costs that we could have uh, saved had we been paying more attention. That's just a small one, but um, I've pretty much made every mistake you can make. You know, the point I try to make every time I'm making the book is that if you're in the business long enough, you're going to lose money. Uh, and so that the trick is to be cautious. If you lose money on your first deal, then you're going back to being a gym teacher, right? Because no one, even if they love you, they say, Todd, you're a great guy, but you're not lucky. You know, we're not gonna invest with you. If you lose money on your 10th deal, it's okay. You know, you're batting 900. So you start out kind of cautious. Uh, but here's the point, and, and the virus is a perfect example. You can be smarter than Bill Gates, uh, and still get slammed. You know, the, I have a friend who, who bought a mall, an enclosed mall, and he bought it for, just got a killer price, 20 cents on the dollar. He retenanted it with a, a trampoline place, a gymnasium, a movie theater. And so, and he was killing it with cash flow until a year ago, and then he got killed. You know, so he's, he's losing a ton. And so that what he bought for 20 cents on the dollar is now worth five cents on the dollar. He's getting crushed. Uh, and it wasn't his fault. You know, no one could have foreseen the virus. So where the, the, the typical mistake is guys over leverage. Yeah. You know, I think Warren Buffett said it's, <laughs> it's almost impossible to lose money in real estate if you don't have any leverage. Uh, so, and I have made that mistake. I've made them all. Okay. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot of good points though. I mean, leverage, yeah, not having enough capital uh, in the first place. Um, and sometimes you get unlucky. Like if you would have asked anybody not very long ago, if you've got a, a retail or a shopping place, 
what what you should have in it it would have been some you got to get some service into it get some service industry get the hair salon get the you know because people aren't going to stop getting their hair cut they can't go to amazon to get their hair cut well exactly yeah or the pandemic yeah and everybody's saying experiential and you know oops you know you can't do experiential right now so it's tricky uh yeah so anyway it's just it's being careful uh and really paying attention yeah, no, good, good stuff. All right. So I want to be, be respectful of your time. Um, got a couple last questions before we wrap up. What's a favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? That's not your own, of course. This, this probably won't play that well, but I, I think you learn more about life and then hence business by reading great novels uh, than you do business books. So I, I would, uh, I would say read Tolstoy, read War and Peace, read Middlemarch, George Eliot, read. Uh, I would say read the classics. Uh, you'll you'll learn a lot more. Uh, the how-to books, uh, I'm, I've never been that impressed with. There's one reason, and mine is a primer. It, it, they're, they're short chapters, and uh, and read it or not, but. You know, the, the how to write, uh, Strunk and Wagnalls, I think it is. Uh, writing has become so much more important and so few people can do it well. Uh, I, would, I would focus on that, you know, because, you know, when, when my kids say talk, they mean text, you know, it's a, everybody's writing all the time now and much more so than, than when I was younger, but very few people can write well. And if you can write well, uh, a purchase proposal or a letter to the city or a letter to a tenant that you're fighting with and, and clearly state your case, you're way better off. So I, I, I would focus on those. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, how do you like to give back? Uh, how do I give back? I, how, I do you, give, how do you like to give back? Yeah. Uh, that's the last section of my book. I, I give back quite a lot. Uh, yeah. We have been, uh, giving high school scholarships to every, in every town that we finish a project in, where we, we do a high, an annual high school scholarship to needy kids. Mm-hmm. My wife and I give uh, <laughs> a ton of money uh, away every year. And we focus primarily on uh, basic charities, feeding the poor, housing the poor, and then educating smart disadvantaged kids. The other way I give back are, are these lectures uh, on you, you can go to YouTube, um, you, the ULI. I'm, I'm one. Of, I am their most watched speaker. I don't know why. Uh, on uh, YouTube, I've got half a dozen lectures of making it in real estate, buying it right, and so on. Uh, that uh, are very well viewed. So I, I try to give back to people in our industry and let it, again. Don't don't over leverage. Um, that's it. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. So we definitely appreciate that. Uh, love it when uh, people are sharing their knowledge and sharing their, their, their wealth to help other people um, do great things as well. So that's, that's good. Last question I've got for you. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, it's kind of a, I, I like the sound of it, but, but to explain that to me, please. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Well, what are, what are three things that you think are critical for somebody that's wanting to create a business, wanting to create wealth, wanting to create a legacy, anything like that? Well, the most critical thing is to stop working by the hour. You know, as, as long as it doesn't matter if, if you're, if you're a, a top lawyer in a top New York law firm, you're and you're making a couple million a year, you're still working by the hour. You've got to get capital working for you. You've got to, to, whether it's investing in equities uh, or, or buying real estate, uh, I, you've got to get out. Uh, you've got to be making money while you're asleep, you know, as, as the old saw goes. Uh, the other thing is most real estate developers, and this was definitely true with me, you know, you start out with zero and then you have 100% of your net worth in, in your first three or four buildings. As soon as you can, you need to diversify a little bit. You've, you can't have it all in... Uh, shopping centers say, so you need to diversify within real estate. So we have neighborhood shopping centers and we also have suburban office and we also have some suburban residential. So you've, you've got multiple uh, legs to the stool, but then you also want to get, if you're solely in real estate, you want to start taking care. It hurts to sell and pay uh, taxes, but you want to move some of that into the stock market. You want to have cash. You want to have investments that are counter cyclical. So we, for example, have invested in a, in a tech real estate company that has skyrocketed. It, it's a, now a geriatric uh, startup. It's been around for a dozen years, but the problems that we've had, you know, say collecting rent that I alluded to before, on the the um, retail side, have been more than offset by the growth in this company. So it's it's kind of like your your own mini hedge fund. Uh, in the true sense of the word, uh, you know, you're, you're hedging your bets you know, by, okay, I'm going to be in this area and on a counter cyclical basis, I'll be in this area. Yeah. Is that enough pillars? And that's two. We got diversity and we got uh, get capital working for you. Okay. You got to have one more. One more. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the I think I'd like to leave with with the thought that you know life is more important than business. You know, uh, and you get. I've got friends who are billionaires, and, and it seems like everybody in Palo Alto is. But uh, and I've got friends who are, are very wealthy, and it seems like they're no happier than anybody else. Everybody's about as happy as, as they, they set out to be. I wouldn't get wrapped around the axle about creating too much wealth you know I, I would say enjoy your life uh you know you've i'm sure you've you've heard this the factoid's been around forever at some level whether it's seventy-five thousand a year or a hundred thousand a year money ceases to have any effect on uh, one's relative happiness you know for a poor person uh buying braces for your kids is great you know or, or having a house that, that the roof doesn't leak that's great but once you're past all that basic stuff you know, I know guys who are extremely happy and who are wealthy and extremely unhappy. You know, it, it doesn't correlate. So I, just, I wouldn't worry that much about wealth creation. You know, the, the guys who are happy do business because it's fun. You know, back to your earlier question, it was it's a it's fun for me doing a deal, getting it approved, getting it through the getting the tenants, getting the financing. It's like a three dimensional crossword puzzle or three dimensional chess. It's fun doing deals, and that's why I do it. So, so the, so the guys that are happy are doing business because it's fun. What what else? What else do you see? I mean, you got the you got the wealthy 
and I know some wealthy people that are, I would say the same, they're, they're not very happy. And then, then I know some that are extremely happy. Um, what do you, what's the difference? Uh, mindset, you know, it's a commonplace observation that people are just about as happy as, as they want to be, you know, know, some, I think some of it's genetic, you know, some kids just come out of the shoot happy all the time, you know, optimistic and and some kind of see a problem everywhere. Uh, but you know, worrying too much about business is, is, that isn't, uh, that's not the solution. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, John, look, I really appreciate your time uh, being able to spend with us. Uh, what, what, so let's get the name of your book and then how listeners can reach out if, if they got any questions or get more, you know, learn more about what you got going on. Sure. The book is called Making It in Real Estate, Starting Out as a Developer. I'm John McNellis. Uh, what everybody seems to do, and I hear from people every day, they, they just tend to link with me on LinkedIn, send me a note. Uh, I like the book or whatever, or it's usually not to make a joke of it. John, I like the book. And then two long paragraphs. Here's my issue. Here's my problem. Here's the deal (laughs) I want you to invest in. So I get a lot of that. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, you love it. I love it. Well, I'll, I'll make sure when I connect with you on LinkedIn, I don't ask you to solve, my, solve all my problems. <laughs> yeah, that's usually better in the second email. <laughs> in the first one, it should just be straight praise. And some of the guys don't even bother with that. They just say, John, here's the deal. <laughs> solve this for me. And I awesome. yeah. uh, love it. Love it. Well, look, I really appreciate it. Uh, fun talking to you. And yeah, my uh, pleasure. All, all, all the success moving forward. So have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, And also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.